0: Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're
1: self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, everyone. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode
0: 40 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here back with Sam Marks. Hey, Johnny. How are you? Welcome back for another episode. Yeah, I'm excited. i uh, I think this space and these guests that we're going to have on with, with such different types of investment opportunities that were not available literally just one year ago is mm. really going to change investing as a whole. Even if you're not interested in startups, I think this next guest uh, is going to, be, it's going to be kind of eye-opening.
1: Oh, definitely. And you know what? Startup investing, it's still incredibly complicated, still very confusing. Guys, if you're listening and you're confused by some of the terminology in this stuff, don't feel bad. I've personally invested in eight, 10 startups in the last few years. And literally every single time I do it, I'm confused. But I think what Republic, who's our guest this week, I think what they're doing that's amazing is they're really simplifying the structuring of this stuff to make startup investing kind of easy to digest, especially for non-accredited investors, people with less experience in it. Uh, So I'm looking forward to kind of diving into just the simple side of this stuff and trying to break it down for layman terms, just like myself.
0: Definitely. And I think a big portion of our guests are non-American. You know, they're living, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere else outside of the U.S. or they're resident of another country, uh, or they're not a accredited investor yet. So they don't have, you know, $200,000 in provable income every year or they don't have a million dollars in net worth and they would love to invest in kind of cool alternative investment, uh, opportunities, but they mm-hmm. just can't do it. So that's why I'm so excited, you know, to bring on Chuck Pettit, uh, from Republic.co and talk about what you know, this new kind of era of equity crowdfunding that anybody can really invest in. I think if you, you know, I think he'll probably go into the details, but something silly like, you know, a couple hundred bucks uh, anybody can invest in and you can have that same kind of experience and gain that same knowledge and have, you know, it's almost kind of the same amount of fun as you would if you were an actual angel investor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is a great compliment to episode 32. We already had on uh, Slava Rubin from Indiegogo. But after that episode, there's a lot of questions from listeners and you and I, Johnny. I mean, that, that was a a, a very kind of introductory episode to equity crowdfunding. Like you said, it's only like a year old, for especially for non-accredited investors. Uh, so this is going to be a great dive into this stuff. And like we said, with Chuck Pettit He's now a partner of Republic.co, and one cool thing about Republic is they're an official spinoff of AngelList, whom uh, many, many of our listeners will be familiar with.
0: Yeah, and AngelList, if you guys aren't familiar with them, it's pretty much the go-to source for startup investing, so Mm -hmm. that is like the the number one trusted source, so it's really cool that they are an official spinoff of them. I think this is going to take it to a whole other level, and... To be honest, if you, go, even if you guys have zero interest in startup investing, kind of like me, to be honest, you know, I was <laughs> almost kind of like thinking, Oh gosh, Sam, like not another, you know, startup and, uh, you know, startup investing podcast, but you know what? I mean, t- to be honest with you, I've already listened to the episode, so I know it's going to be of good value. Uh, and I cannot wait for you guys to listen to it. So here we go. This is episode 40 with Chuck
2: Pettit.
1: Guys, and we're back. Chuck, welcome to the show,
2: man. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely, we've been looking forward to having you on for a long time. I know we've been, we've been talking about it and scheduling it. And equity crowdfunding, it's still still so very new to so many people. Lots of questions to be answered. So great to have you on. And you know, first, where are you sitting? Where are you based? Where's uh, where's the Republic operations?
2: I am in uh, New York City in Soho. You've been here for about four months now. We started off in Midtown, but moved to Soho as our team grew. We're at nine people right now. So kind of busting at the seams again, but uh, we're in a WeWork and we love it.
1: That's great. WeWork is killing it all around the world. I've yet to be in one, but I've heard nothing but great things. I know I'm in San Diego right now. They just opened a location downtown and it seems like wherever they open a location, there's there's always a lot of buzz around that and the anticipation of that and what it, what it could potentially do for the community.
2: Yeah, they do a great job. They've even, you know, involved us in their community too. We just had a, a happy hour last week with about forty people who showed up to talk about their companies and learn about Republic.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think in the first ten minutes, about two hundred dollars worth of food we bought was gone. <laughs> <Pretty amazing.
1: laughs> Pretty amazing. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, Chuck, I know you're a very successful guy, even outside of Republic. You know, can you give us a little bit of a a short background on on you and you know what your background is?
2: Sure. Uh, so I'm. I'm 18 years deep in New York, and I'm saying that because you know I came back from a little bit of a different time, and what that means is I kind of went through the old Wall Street routine. Mm-hmm. I did the classic Wall Street routine. I ended up at a hedge fund, ended up going into real estate um, after that, and then more focused on the uh, startup ecosystem beyond that. The whole time, I was doing a little bit of angel investing here and there, so this is uh, kind of the peak for me right now. I really love where I'm at, and getting to uh, uh, apply all those things that I learned across different industries and with different people and different teams and different companies. So it's been awesome.
1: Very cool. And you said you've been in New York for 18 years. That's right. Dang. So that's, that's 18 long winters you've been through as well.
2: Yeah, but you know, we got a little global warming <laughs> going on, so it's not so bad anymore. <laughs>
1: it's the new, it's the new South Beach in a few years, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Cool. man. so can you let us, clue us into a little bit of the founding story of Republic? Like, you know, how long it's been around and, and who's behind it?
2: Sure. So the uh, the two founders are Ken DeWin and Paul Menschop mm-hmm. uh, Ken was the general counsel at AngelList and Paul was one of the lead engineers. They came up with the idea to run with Republic in you know, roughly uh, April of 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, they knew the Jobs Act was coming up. Um, it's about the same time I actually started to talk to them about it as well. So I got involved early on, you know, at that time. And the law became effective, Title Jobs Act, Title Three, in May of 2016. Mm-hmm. In Republic, we received our license in May of 2016. We launched our first companies in July. Um, during that time, I was, you know, actively involved with them, going to their events, participating in events, taking on um, an advisor role, and actually ended up becoming a small investor and Eventually, uh, a kind of a more formal advisor where I was taking on a day-to-day responsibility. Tomorrow, I'll shift from official advisor to official partner of the firm and continue on with my day-to-day responsibilities of building out the deal team and helping anywhere I can.
1: Well, congratulations! That's exciting news, and glad to. Uh, it's just yeah, just a day away. So I wish I, I wish I was sitting next to you, to shake your hand. But congratulations!
2: No, that must I, be I, must, I, must I, be I, exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's gonna feel no different from you know when I go to bed tonight when I wake up tomorrow morning. yes yeah. it's, it's um you know I, I I've always enjoyed working with early stage startups and getting them to a point. In this case, these guys are so <laughs> they're so damn good. I. I'm getting to apply myself in different ways, and it's been an awesome yeah. ride. So it's, uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Awesome. So you mentioned two things. I had just kind of quick follow up questions on. One was the the founders were involved with Angel List. That's correct. And I, a lot of listeners out there will have, are familiar with the Angel List. Um, but for those that are not, can you just give a, a slight background on that and and how it, you know, how how it's strategically good for Republic as well.
2: Right. So we're officially officially a spin off from Angelist. Mm-hmm. and Angelist focuses on accredited investors to raise money for startups. Uh, we focus on non-accredited investors, so that's kind of the, the main differential. Mm-hmm. Um, having two people who are highly involved in that company's growth is super important for us because they've been through crowdfunding before through at, at, at AngelList, and yeah. they're applying those same you know, rules and principles and you know, growth strategies here at Republic. Um. Granted, we have a much wider net to cast because we can focus on non-accredited investors. Uh, we can also bring in accredited investors as well. But ours is to democratize investing and get everyone involved. And we're looking at it as a chance for people to be involved in the community, the, you know, the community of startups and get mm-hmm. involved with you know companies they typically wouldn't be able to beforehand, but now they now they can.
1: Right. And so Republic was made possible through this Jobs Act that really. Kind of cemented in just 2016, just last year, or you, just months ago, or, or yeah,
2: correct, yeah. yeah I, I mean, effective yeah. in May of 2016, so it's it's we we are a startup, and yeah. the industry is just you know in startup phase also. People are, you know, learning as they go. Um, I think be biased, but I mean, we really have um, come up a learning curve a ton. And mm-hmm. I, think we're leading the way. I like it. So that leads us to
1: you know Republic's live. It's got deal flow. It has some deals that have already been successfully funded. A lot more that have just been rolled out. Can you tell us a little bit about how Republic sources deals? And you mentioned earlier as well that you were, you're part of building out the deal team.
2: So we source our deals from uh, multiple places. Um, one would be, and if you look at our current list right now of campaigning issuers,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you have you know SkillMill. Uh, SkillMill came from my network. Uh, You have Parachute, that came from one of our advisors' networks. Uh, You have Flipword, that came from a a competition that we had set up. Um, We have Ellison, that came from one of our investor group partners. Uh, We also have quite a bit of deal flow coming through our site. Um, They're applying, they're learning about us through things like Medium or even Twitter or some sort of publication that others are talking about us on. as they come in, uh, my responsibility on the deal team is to, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a meet and greet. It's a bring them up the learning curve and t- tell them what we're about, how we service them, what we can bring to the table, and get them, you know, amped to actually come out and launch to run a campaign, to run a successful campaign. We're not a volume-based shop. I'm not just going to open the doors and let everyone come in. Uh, there is a, you know, a formal due diligence process. There's a, you know, a way that we select. Founders and, and startups to you know, to place into our portal, um, it could be it, it's it's multifaceted and there's a lot of layers to it. Most of the time, it starts in my case with a phone call or a face to face. I'll get to know that person because the person, the founder or the founders, are going to be the most important things that are going on for that company. I don't care if you're early stage pre revenue startup or if you're you know Series A B C, um, that will be the you know the face of the company and the face of the campaign. That person will be. So I, I try to get to know them. I get to know, obviously, what their company is up to and what they've done in the past, what they're going to do in the future. So I'm looking for legitimate people, legitimate companies with a legitimate chance to be successful. If I can do all that in my phone call and general research, I will then take it on to a formal review where we'll you know, crack into market analysis and competitive analysis and do other you know, factual checks and things of that nature. That stuff we can move pretty quickly on couple days, maybe a week or so. Depends how, you know, how fast the, uh, founder reacts to our questions. And then we do have some, you know, some formal processes in place with our deal team where we openly discuss and talk about, you know, our thoughts and what our research said, um, what people outside of the company are thinking confidentially, of course. And then there's a sign off. It's, you know, we want to move forward with them. We think they want to move forward with us. Why don't we find out for sure? And I'll get back on the phone and, you know, try to finalize that deal.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, you know, while all that's going on, we have to think not only are they going to be you know, successful and have a successful campaign, are they going to carry it through also?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You can have a successful campaign and only raise your minimum, but you really do want to, you know, they want to get to their maximum. Are, are they going to be capable of doing that? You know, we have a, a ton of resources for them to utilize their, you know, tools they can use to their admin page to connect with people in their network or to, communicate with investors that have invested on their on their campaign, but are they going to go out and try to find other people to invest? Are they going to not go into it without shame, but are they going to really put themselves out there on a limb and just go for it? You know, that's key to making it happen. And that's something I'm always striving to find with these founders because the ones that do, and the ones, especially the ones that can do it naturally, they can really kill it. They have, they have done that.
1: And do you find that a lot of the companies that are coming to Republic and or the ones that have already been successfully funded via Republic, are they coming from a certain geographic area like the Northeast or is it is it pretty well spread out?
2: It's pretty well spread out. And we're, we're really proud of that, too. Um, obviously, we're going to catch a lot from New York and California. Uh, we have the ones that just launched, uh, you know, Skill Mills out of Florida, Parachutes out of Chicago, uh, Flipward they're half illinois half california ellison's chicago you know pre you know prior to that we had rhode island we had san francisco we had you know a couple other locations so we are um certainly focused on the underserved founder as well and by that i mean you know women and minority businesses um, we're also looking for people who are coming out of smaller towns where they just don't have that coverage of you know angel investors or venture capitalists that would look at them uh, you can be just as legitimate and just you know have just a legitimate company if you're from you know, Biloxi, Mississippi, as you would if you're from New York City. We recognize that and want to bring these people into our community, so they do have you know resources and the chance to get things done. Um, we do that through our campaigns. You know, not only are we helping them network and helping them build their brand or you know show off their product to the world or to the you know to, to the country, we're, um and getting them a check. We're also bringing them a lot of new business. There isn't one campaign that, that's gone out that hasn't come out of this with additional, you know, partners, business partners, new business, yeah. Things of that nature. So it's not just, you know, marketing and, and getting a, a check because you got some money from people here and there. It's you, you are growing your business during your 60 or 90 day campaign by a lot.
1: That's cool. That's something I never thought about, but I always remember you know, watching Shark Tank year, a couple of years ago and all these companies would say, hey, just the experience of going through that has just oh, yeah. exploded our business. Right. So something for for companies out there to always consider is this kind of this uh, secondary benefit, the side benefit that happens when you get this much exposure from, you know, from a, a, a company like Republic
2: right, we, we're we're almost a mini accelerator. We really do ramp up teams and, and get them to, uh, to focus in a different way and to, to be sharper and to execute on things in ways they've never done before. I'll give you a really awesome, and you know, especially with today's you know headlines and things you know, of that nature. Farm from a Box uh, was running a campaign, and they decided to make one final push at the end to help far- I guess I should you know give you a little background. Farm from a Box uses uh, shipping containers that are outfitted to um, individuals like you or I, so we can go and farm a two-acre plot of land. Cool. Uh, we can become farmers using their technology in this box. And they wanted to push for the final days of their campaign to get enough money to be able to donate one to an Afghan refugee camp. And they, they were able to do that. And because they, they went out and you know, promoted it and did it that way, the International Rescue Committee, which is very prevalent in the news today, has gone on to partner with them and is ordering boxes from the company. This is a little early stage pre-revenue startup uh-huh. and they're dealing with a, a nonprofit that has a $700 million annual budget and they're making an impact in the world. It's
1: fantastic. You know,
2: from the campaign that yeah. it was, that is a direct actual currently happening event because of a Republic campaign or mm-hmm. that's, that's what we try to do That that. that granted that was massive, but it was still very, very cool to be part of
1: yeah and that's 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 obviously a, a very feel good story for your business builds builds morale and and uh in everything that you're doing and and of course you know sharing those story with us and and onward to listeners is is really cool so thanks for sharing that and yeah. I was just wondering like backing up to the process of deal vetting and and bringing in new deal flow from a, a very widespread geographic area like you said and once you get a company that you're talking to how do you guys agree on you know, what, what that deal is going to look like, for instance, how much money that they want to raise, what the valuation would be, you know, the funding goals. Is that, is that something that you kind of walk through and, and mutually agree on, or is it more one side kind of proposes to the other side?
2: No, it's, it's mutually agreed on. If, if someone came to me and said, I want to come out with a valuation cap of $50 million, we'd stop, I'd stop them in the tracks. They, you know couldn't do it. If they wanted to come out with a, a, a no cap or something like that, we wouldn't allow it. There's a, you know, at some time in the, in the early conversations, I start to inquire about what they had previously raised, either through friends and family or angels, or if they had it, you know, at all. And I'll play off of that number. If they want, you know, if they had closed something and say a 4 million val cap with a 20% discount six months prior, and they wanted to jump to 7 million, I'd also stop something like that and say, well, what happened between, you know, then and now that you're going up 3 million in valve cap? Can you explain, did you add a new team member? Did you partner with someone? Did you have it, a, a massive increase in revenues. What, you know, what's going on? If they can't you know, tell me or prove it, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like they would have to take a step back and be realistic because the reality is I'm, I'm also looking at these, these potential issuers, these founders, like I'm the crowd. Mm-hmm. These are things that they'll pick up on. They'll ask these questions. They'll, they'll say, you know, no way. And that's not going to you know, create a successful campaign if, if even one voice comes up and ask a question on the discussion page. Someone calls them out, it's gonna be a problem. So we're gonna stop that early on and make sure, you know, it's not a problem during the campaign. They need to have answers they need to be, you know, they need to be responsible for what they're doing.
1: Yeah. And guys, if you are not familiar with val cap, valuation cap and or discount, don't worry. We're gonna go into a real life example after this. And Chuck, actually one thing I wanted to compliment you guys on. Something I think you and Republic are doing particularly well that I haven't seen done in and around the space is kind of on the educational side of it. I know you guys have a really cool, we'll talk about CrowdSafe in a bit, and you have a calculator that actually shows how this stuff works in very simple layman's terms, which I came across like last week and I thought it was really, really cool. So I definitely want to share that with the listeners uh, just ahead in, in the episode. And just a couple more questions on on what you're noticing you know, currently happening on the platform. You mentioned that AngelList is really for accredited investors and Republic. You want to democratize angel investing and allow, you know, really just about anybody to be able to come in and invest in startups. Do you find that the deals coming into AngelList and Republic or the companies are in, you know, different, you know, different calibers, different categories? Is there, is there a significant difference in who's coming into the different platforms?
2: I would say no. I mean, initially, yeah, we we, we received a lot of uh, inbound from early stage pre-revenue startups who are looking at us, you know, being a, a, a new chance, a new opportunity for them to raise. As we grow out, as we get, you know, we have more and more discussions, more you know, face time with people. I'm seeing later stage companies that recognize this as being a valuable resource for them for many reasons other than the check. Uh, so they are going to both Angelus and us separately. Uh, most of the time, we actually don't even know that they were discussing, you know, with syndicate leads at AngelList about raising a round before they come to us because they're seeing them as equally valuable. Mm-hmm.
1: And with AngelList, because it's accredited investors, can they usually large out of a, uh, a larger round or is that is that not at all true? Like versus going through Republic?
2: Sure. Um, Title Three is capped currently at $1 million max raise Got per it. issuer per year. I believe that'll change in the next six to 12 months to $5 million. Got it. Cool. And I, once that happens, and you'll see uh, probably a flood of A's and B's that are more interested at that point.
1: Makes sense. So with AngelList, you can pretty much raise unlimited. And with Republic, it's currently capped at a million because of the JOBS Act. But that you expect to loosen up to be able to raise larger amounts in the coming years. That's correct. Okay, cool. And is there any other limitations on who can currently invest? Is it, is it U.S. citizens only or
2: any other type of restrictions? So there, you can be U.S. citizen or international. Uh, foreign investors are totally fine. There's a $250 minimum wire requirement for international investors, so not bad. And then domestic, no restrictions. If you uh, are just doing you know, a, a regular... Income-producing and net worth individual, the minimum you can invest for, or the sorry, the maximum you can invest for a year is two thousand. Uh, if you are the richest guy in the world, bringing in the most income per year, uh, the maximum you can invest on Title III is a hundred thousand per year. So, minimum two thousand, maximum hundred thousand, and everything in between. Okay, very cool. All right, and
1: I notice on a lot of your funded campaigns, they uh, some of them have upwards of over five hundred looks like individual investors. Do you, do you have any type of detail on, on who those investors are? Are they, you know, are they just average guys? Like, you know, a lot of people listening to this, this podcast and us, or is it, is it institutions or, or maybe like a syndicate of some sort?
2: Uh, Definitely individuals. If you do the basic math and just divide the total number or the total raised by the number of investors, it's going to end up around somewhere like four or 500 bucks. That's actually our average too. It's not really skewed up one way or another, uh, up or down. So these are people who have uh, waited to invest in private companies for a long time. They're looking to kind of sh- spread it around to multiple companies. A lot of them actually do two or three or more investments on our portal. I get a, I get a feeling and I've had conversations with, them, with these investors that they're just starting to like, you know, dip their toes in the water. They wanna see what it's all about, not only from our side, but what it's about to, you know, be invested into a, a startup. They have not done private equity investing before. There also, of course, is a large you know, chunk of people have done this for a long time. They are accredited investors, but they're looking at it as a, you know, a chance to put in 1000 or $5,000 because they didn't want to do the minimum $25,000 that some you know, startups will start off at, or even you know, a $50,000 minimum. It's much more you know, tolerable and something that you can stomach easier as an investor you know, when a founder approaches you for raising capital.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a I think that's good advice for anyone who's thinking about getting involved in this stuff. If they've not invested in startups before, if they've not done private equity before, they want to try it out. Try $500, try you know, try a small amount that's insignificant to you, but by doing so, you'll learn the process, you'll learn how this stuff works, you'll learn how the how the deal works, you'll learn how the communication works, and hopefully you'll you'll learn how the return works, but without taking something that is more substantial or or more meaningful financially and and putting at risk. Do you agree with that for for people that just want to try
2: to get started on this? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, people are going to be really surprised about the amount of information that they receive from, you know, from Republic. They're going to be surprised about the amount of information they receive from the founder. Mm -hmm. They'll constantly be, you know, communicated with and informed about what's going on at the company. A lot of that's because of the tools that we've built out on the back end for founders to continually... You know, communicate with their investors mm-hmm. once you know once the campaign is closed we've also set up on our end uh you know portfolio pages for investors so they can easily go on and get their their crowdsafe document or you know information about how much and when they invested into a company mm-hmm. and you know when the day comes that one of these has an exit event all that's you know going to be ran through republic too where they're going to get details and information about what's going on they'll see actual you know Dollars being generated and you know things of that nature. So it's going to be um you know really important. It's really important for us to have that back end right now, set up and ready to go for this build out one two three years from now when we have a couple hundred companies that have come through and we have two three four five whatever it may be with exit events.
1: Yeah, very cool. Do you see there ever being the opportunity to evolve to have almost like a fund, like a startup fund? So if you wanted to. If you wanted to just spread out ten thousand
2: dollars across across thirty, yeah, you know, no, that's definitely so. a strategy that people are taking right now. Okay, but they're, they're doing it manually at, or yeah, so they're doing it. Man, I mean, you can do it as an as an entity. You can set up an LLC and an, and invest on Republic. You know, that's that's allowed. You just use your your entity's you know bank account to make the investment, and then you share a couple of details about the LLC. So when we generate your your safe instrument, your crowd safe instrument, at the conclusion of the campaign. It's put into the right name, and there's certainly a, a bunch of individuals right now executing that, that investment plan right now. and they, they really did, they've learned it from, from angel investors or you know large accredited institutions or large accredited individuals or other institutions that have spread around 25 to 50,000 dollars investments or hundred thousand dollars, 10, 20, 30 times over a year, and their whole plan is to see two or three of those knock it out of the park and it, it'll create some returns.:
1: Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, and you're in, and you're involved at that point too, and like you're you're going to be knee, if you did ten companies on Republic, mm-hmm. you'll be knee deep in the startup ecosystem, and I really mean that. You're going to get so much insight, so much information, so many you're going to see so many cool things happening that are great to talk about at the water cooler if you want to call it that, or with yeah. your friends and family. I mean, <laughs> it, it really is a uh, a great thing to be a part of.
1: It's much cooler than buying uh, the Russell two thousand. You know, oh, yeah. Vanguard index, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think it's a really cool thing. And I, I lo- noticed on your site, so I'm on republic.co right now. And for any of the listeners that that want to follow along later on, uh, I scrolled to the bottom and I saw investor groups. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what that is and how it works?
2: Uh, so our investor groups would be companies like uh, Women 2.0, uh, Technori, Project 500, uh, even, you know, 500 Startup Alum. Mm-hmm. If we can bring a company to the portal that's aligned with their interests, they will help promote and network that campaign. So if you were you know, an African-American in the Washington, D.C. area, Project 500 is going to really put the, you know, the pedal to the metal and network your campaign. Make sure you're you know, doing things the way that you should be doing them, you know, getting you out there to the people. Um, Technori is another really good example to give. Actually today, Technori has an investor event with about 500 individuals. Um, it was being covered by WGN this morning on television and then WGN through radio this afternoon. We have there today, Skill Mill, Parachute and Flipword uh, and Ellison. Actually, four of our, all four of our live issues are there right now with a few other startups, uh, giving a pitch to the crowd, talking about who they are, meeting new people, uh, you know, getting really, you know, a lot of good exposure to the Chicagoland startup ecosystem. Women 2.0, obviously, you know, if you're a woman founder and you come through our portal, they're going to be looking at you and they're probably going to give you, you know, an interview or a podcast or some sort of, you know, PR. We like it when our investor groups bring us deal, you know, deal flow. Mm-hmm. They'll have startups that come to them that they've either, you know, advise, mentored, had go through their, you know, their systems, and now they're looking to raise capital and we trust who they are. We trust their work. We know what they do and they, they produce quality things and they build quality things. So if they refer someone to us, we're going to have that conversation. We're going to have the uh, formal due diligence done. We give them the same you know, scrutiny that we would for anyone that came to us, but they typically bring us you know, high quality issuers.
1: Very cool. So if you wanted to join one of these groups, you would essentially be following what they are, what they're talking about and what they're, what they're currently promoting?
2: Not even what they're promoting. So they're free to go on there and talk about anything that's going on at their company as well. So if, you know, Women 2.0 has a, an event coming up or an initiative that they want to speak about, they can share it there with their, you know, couple hundred followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with a Technori. He's been promoting his event, even though a lot of it's, you know, revolved around our current issuers. He's still talking about it there, getting his Chicago Chicago you know land followers excited and, you know, basically you know, getting them to go to the event. Mm-hmm. Um 500 startups a little bit different those are alum that came out of 500 either people who've worked there or people who have gone through the accelerator program and they you know they promote each other because they're all out of the same you know group and they they're very have a very friendly alumni network so it's it's free to talk you free to talk about anything in there you want we hope that you keep it relevant if the admin wants to talk about anything they can
1: Mhm. Very cool. Alrighty. So we go back one more question, just on kind of the vetting of the deals. And one thing that we talk about a lot on the podcast, kind of these these modern investing vehicles and peer to peer lending. You know, pretty pretty top uh, popular, pretty hot topic. And a lot of these platforms, the whoever's going on and lending money or investing money, they're relying a lot on the platform and or the company host to. Vet these deals. So I guess okay. a good a good example in in peer to peer lending is if you're using Lending Club or one of the other ones, you know if they say that this is a a B you know a B grade loan or a C grade loan or if the loan to value on this loan uh, that's secured by a house is sixty percent, the lender is kind of almost a hundred percent just taking what they say and, and, and putting their faith in that vetting process. Mm -hmm. But I imagine this is, is somewhat different. There is, you know, there's, we definitely rely on Republic to do vetting, but this is, you know, this is higher risk stuff. So would you say that it's much more the responsibility of the, the investor to vet these deals and, um, and you guys are kind of just like the first layer on before that?
2: I highly recommend that investors do their own vetting and their own research for sure. I will step back and say that in all my time investing in private companies, startups, et cetera, I've never received this, you know, as much information as investors today receive on a Republic campaign deal page. Cool. So if you check out that deal page, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of text. There's a lot of you know, information to, to, to uh, digest. You can also go outside of the platform. If you click onto their form C, Form C is essentially a mini IPO with the SEC where there's a, a snapshot of their financials, there's a closer look at their risks, there's you know, an abundance of information that normally takes you know, a couple weeks at least, if not a month as an individual angel investor to collect if you ever do collect it from startups. But we do collect these, we have to. Um, part of it's because of SEC and requirements, and the other part of it is because that's how we do it. We wanna make sure that people are informed and they can make the best decision decision that they can and, you know, the reality is if, if they're fully informed and we've given them everything that we possibly can to make that decision, the chances are they're probably going to invest a higher amount. Of course, we want them to invest a higher amount. So do the founders and so does that individual because, you know what, if they've they made it to that point. They've decided themselves that this is a, you know, again, a legitimate founder, a legitimate company with a you know, legitimate chance to succeed. So we'll always do that going forward. It's not going to be a situation where founders are able to just make that deal page on their own. We. Hold their hands throughout the entire onboarding process. And I really mean that down to like every word. We build out a task manager that helps them along the way while they're onboarding, not only with the compliance part of it, but the marketing, you know, the deal page setup part of it to, you know, and, and gosh, you can really look at that as being, you know, further due diligence that we do because things do come up during the onboarding process that we have to clear up. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, make sure that everyone's on the same page and understands because it will get out and it will be, you know, understood by someone in the crowd. And that's important.
1: Yeah. I guess you guys look at this really from a holistic view of trying to optimize the success of the company, of course, but also optimize the returns of the investors and maybe the the perfect scenario for you guys would be successful funding, successful exit in so many years and, and, you know, a good multiple on the returns for the investors versus it being really lopsided to, you know, company making money or investors making money, trying to find, strike some happy medium in there that everybody has a a, a victory in the end.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's why going back to what I said earlier, we're not a volume based shop. We're not just going to open the doors to allow everyone to come on um we we do vet. we do our due diligence we continually do our due diligence while they're onboarding even while they're onboarded if you're in the middle of a campaign and something comes up that we know about we're required to put that onto the deal page we put it into the discussion discussion section just like if the individual founder went out and started having you know pitching a friend or a family member or a individual that he met on the street and something that came up that wasn't on the deal page, they're required to put it into the discussion field. If we know that it happened, we'll do it for. Them. Uh, so it's all out in the open. Everyone has the same information to make their decision from. Love
1: the transparency. Okay, so I want to shift into what I think is one of the coolest things you guys are doing. And I actually don't know that much about it. So I'm really excited just to, to scratch my own itch and, and hear more. And that's what you guys have set up. And I guess trademarked called CrowdSafe. Right. This, I think, is super cool because for me, I've invested in a half dozen startup companies, just you know, on a on, a, on a, as an angel directly. And honestly, every single time I do it, it confuses me. And two months later, I forget about the entire structure, and I have to go back and read through a hundred papers and, and try to figure it out. And when I started looking at equity crowdfunding, it was the same thing. I'm like, man, all these deals. They're different structures. Like, even if I want to invest five hundred dollars, I'm either going to just take a shot and hope that you know things are done right, or I almost need to get an attorney to like help me understand the terminology. And what it seems like you guys have done with CrowdSafe is kind of standardize that and make it really easy to digest and understand. So, you know, with that, can you take us a little bit of background of of what CrowdSafe is?
2: So, CrowdSafe, uh, Safe is simple agreement for future equity. It was something actually developed by Y Combinator, mm-hmm. and we have since adapted it to crowdfunding. Um, what it does for, and this is just as beneficial for investors, what I'm going to say right now, mm-hmm. what it does for issuers, one thing, they'll have a, a, a less messy cap table. If you have, and a cap table is where you list out all of your investors. Mm-hmm. If you have, you know, like WIM, 500 plus investors, your cap table would be pretty, pretty crowded. <laughs> yeah. And that does not look appealing to future investors. Uh-huh. And with our crowd safe, you'll have one entity going forward on your cap table. So that makes, you know, for good operations for a company. They don't have annual reporting, you know, tax reporting requirements to these individuals. There's no like, you know, shareholder equity rights where they're voting or mm-hmm. they're involved in your board, you know, board meetings and things of that nature. Again, it makes that company more operationally strong
1: so just to simplify that for for anyone out there if you start a company and it's just you and a co-founder you're and you guys are 50 you know partners your cap table is two people 50 percent each right chuck that's correct. And then, as you bring in people, advisors, investors, that cap table, you know, can get can get crazy long, as in as what Chuck just said. You know, it's, in some cases, you can have hundreds and hundreds, and that makes it it's, it makes it harder di- to digest for companies potentially investing, and just for you know anyone just taking a look at it and trying to understand who
2: who owns what, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's an excellent security instrument, document, legal doc, whatever you want to call it, for issuers for sure. And I, I really believe it's also a great tool for investors. Having everything contained into one entity and then realizing that you don't have these annual operational burdens makes a huge difference in a company's growth. If you had 500 people who were entitled to, you know, voting rights or annual tax reports, the K-1s for, you know, equity investors.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: Really burdensome. That's for companies that are, geez, really like, you know, probably series C and thinking about going IPO. At that point, they have a back office administrator, you know, administration or CPA, accounting staff, things of that nature, you know, controller. You don't have that when you're in years one to five. Right. You know, so it's it's important from that angle. It's important because of simplicity. Investors can see, you know, immediately what the valuation cap is, what their discount is. They know if there's an event with the company. If you, you know, quick example, if you have a, $5 Five million dollar valuation cap with a twenty percent discount. That means you're in at four million dollars if there's a conversion to equity mm-hmm. or an exit. If the exit was at eight million, you're making two hundred percent, right? So eight divided by four, two hundred percent. It's very easy to calculate. That's why the calculator you mentioned earlier is you know simple and straightforward. It's because of this document.
1: Okay. So CrowdSafe, what was the acronym that you used before? Simple agreement for future equity. Simple agreement for future equity, and that is essentially
2: a convertible note, correct? It's a hybrid. Okay. Um, I would say it's a hybrid. It's not technically a debt instrument either. It's a hybrid of a convertible note. That's the best way to think of. So
1: I want to I want to pull up this calculator page because again, like I've been through this stuff, a f- you know, half dozen times, and the terminology is always something new on my mind. You know, as soon as I learn it, I forget it, and I think the way that you guys set up this calculator page. It's for anybody, you know. Older older generations can understand it that are less technical, and definitely younger generations. It's it's a great resource to really get your head around how these deals are structured, what the potential returns can look like, and you know how much you you uh, that you would be considering investing and understand terms like cap tables and or discount rates, etc. So, Chuck, I'm just gonna pull up this page and. I just want to kind of use like a real world example, uh, and just explain that how it works
2: to listeners and give them a reference so they can check it out themselves. So uh, while, pull- while you do that, big yep. props to our, our design team who made that calculator, not even our engineer made it, but our design team. made it. Okay. Yeah. Very cool.
1: Now this stuff, you know, I, I, look this stuff up on the, on the web, right? I'll try to, you know, uh, Calculate gross returns and uh, return on investments and cap you know, all these different things. And uh, you, you find these links that were built in the nineties uh, and they're really outdated, not easy to follow. And this, in the, this is something that I think you guys are doing fantastically well. And I, I hope mo- and encourage more people to take a look at this stuff because it's, you know, it's one page you can look at over in the course of 60 seconds and you're going to learn a ton. So this is great stuff. So I, I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, I'm not sure if this is by default or something I put in, but let's just say it's it's. Uh, so right now I have in as the investment column one thousand dollars, and we got CrowdSafe terms, which is a discount rate of twenty percent and a valuation cap of six million. So Chuck, can you explain to the listeners like what what that actually means to the company and to the investor?
2: So the val cap's going up at six million, and you have a twenty percent discount rate. Mm-hmm. And you would essentially be converted at assuming there's an exit event that's greater than $6 million, Mm -hmm. Uh, you'd be converted at 20% less of that six. So was uh, that 4.8 million?
1: Yeah, good math.
2: And then if you went off it, just to keep math easier, for me, I'm not looking at the calculator, Mm -hmm. you did a $48 million exit, I believe you would have a 10X return. 10X return. So you should see your 1,000 turn to 10,000.
1: So you said liquidity event, meaning basically an exit, right? Or would that
2: also be considered if they raise an additional round? It would not. It would only be if there's an exit. So raising an additional round will give you, you know, sound mind that your investment is increasing in value, mm-hmm. but nothing has been realized at that point. Now, granted, there, are, you know, you can, if you were converted to equity, if there's, you know, secondary market that you can sell it in, mm-hmm. um, you're also able to transfer your CrowdSafe instrument after six months of, from the close, mm-hmm. um, if you're able to find a buyer, which is going to be unlikely, but if you do, you could sell it. Um, now you're not going to sell it a hundred percent of that value, but You know, can unload it. But I believe that you back to that example, that would be a 10X. So you should see your thousand go to 10,000.
1: Okay. So as an investor, you a valuation cap is good, and the lower it is, the better. So let's just say, in you know, if it's a six million valuation cap, that means any value that the company grows to after 6 million is very good for you. If there wasn't a valuation cap in there, or let's say it was higher, let's say in this example, was the valuation cap was 20 million instead of six, and the exit was was for 40 million, you're going to make a lot less of a return because your equity is vesting at a higher valuation.
2: That's right. But you still need to look at the actual chances of success, you know, success of the company. There, there will be companies that come out with, you know, 10, 15, $20 million valuation caps. And, What's their end game? Is it fifty million or is it five hundred million? Mm-hmm. What's the end game of the person that came out with a two million dollars valuation cap? Is it fifty million or five hundred million? Yes, obviously, you want it to have you know want it to be lower, but I wouldn't let right. higher valuation caps scare you away from an investment.
1: You have to look at the potential growth and also what you perceive the value of the company to be at that point, right? Would those be the That's two right. big variables? That's right good stuff. Well, I think that's cool. So th- this is, again, we'll leave a link to this in the show notes for everyone to take out, play, al- p- play along with it, play around, put in some different values, and you're going to learn a lot, even if you play with it for five minutes. And are all the investments currently through Republic using this, utilizing
2: CrowdSafe? They are. That's correct. Uh, all have used um, ValCap with discount. There have been no, you know, no, no ValCap or without discount. So the uh, I I feel like that'll continue also for a long time.
1: And do you just even outside of Republic, just straight up angel investing? Do you see this becoming a much more much more uh, regular type of transaction
2: structure? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, to be honest, I wasn't even hundred percent behind this even a year ago. I was not a big fan of safes. So I was old school. I mentioned the eighteen thing, you know, eighteen years in, in New York thing. Equity made made sense to me. Now, without doubt, you know, safes make sense to me. I I see the true benefit to it from my side as an investor, and I see the true benefit it, benefit for it to a issuer as well, and we're all benefiting from it. It Ultimately, you know, increases your chance of success. Success.
1: Great perspective. Okay, just a couple other questions, Chuck. Uh, uh, it, like with regards to future financing. So let's say they come through Republic. An issuer comes through Republic. They get they get successfully financed. If they want to do additional financing in the future. Would that potentially also go through Republic or maybe outside, or
2: or could it be? Is there options there? Uh, there's, yeah. I mean, it, hopefully they'll come back to Republic and they want to raise in Republic again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can raise outside of Republic. Uh, they can do both. And no matter what happens, if they are going to be raising, they will be informing their current current investors and giving them the opportunity to invest more. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a non accredited investor and they're raising outside of Republic. You have to be accredited, there'd be a problem there. But if you were you know, non-accredited and they're coming back through Republic, you'd be able to do more.
1: Very cool. All right. And I'm just taking a look at Wim because I thought that was a really interesting company. So that's been successfully funded through Republic. $216,800 raised. They beat their goal by 434%. Their goal was 50000 They raised 200, basic 217,510 investors. That's awesome. And I'm just trying to see. Okay. So you can also see, like, if you want to go and check out deals that have already been funded, you can see those deal terms, right? So I'm looking at, looking at deal terms, type of security crowd safe, which we just talked about discount rate, 20%. And the valuation cap was $5,000 or sorry, $5 million. So not too far off the example that we just played with. So for the listeners, you can go and use that calculator page, plug in those values, plug in. A potential investment, you know, $500, 000, five hundred, dollars thousand, five thousand dollars, and you can see, you know, if that company succeeds, you can see what your returns would be. Um, it's just a lot of fun, so I would, I would definitely encourage people to take a look at that. And Chuck, I mean, what, what kind of questions do you see coming in from a lot of these early investors? I mean, is it, is there something that they particularly have questions on that that we could learn from, or is it, um, is it been pretty, you know, pretty straightforward for them to begin with?
2: Uh, no, I'm happily surprised. They ask very sophisticated questions and they ask them often. Mm-hmm. Um, there, There's also, if one person asks a question, you don't see it again. And to me, that means that everyone else is reading it
1: because
2: mm. there's a lot of obvious things you can ask for, you don't know, ask about, and maybe you don't understand that it could be confusing and one person will ask it and then it doesn't get asked again. And I know that's because people are reading it okay. and they're taking it seriously. So that's been really great to see. Um, there's been no a pattern of the same questions to date. But if you look on a deal page, at the top you'll see a little tab for discussions. Click on discussions, it'll take you right down to the bottom and you can see all the questions that people uh, across the country have asked.
1: Great tool, and, and is that for is that only for investors or is that for anybody who's looking at this?
2: Anybody, yeah. very don't cool. not have to be signed up come to the page and check it out whenever you want. That's what I was talking about earlier. If uh-huh. a issuer has an offline conversation, and it's something material or something different that was presented on the deal page. They need to put it into the discussion field.
1: Got it. Okay, that's really cool. I like that. I'm taking a look at that now. We'll definitely read more up on that after this episode. I'm very curious to see uh, see what the discussions are on these different companies. And man, this is really cool stuff, Chuck. I'm I'm very glad you came on. This is super educational uh, for the listeners. And you know, I, I like to share this type of this material with people because I know there's a lot of people out there that they're just not familiar with valuation caps, they're not familiar with cap tables. They're not familiar with how discount rates are. And so we like to try to go on and, and share these um, you know, these topics. There's a lot of people interested in getting involved with this, but they're you know, they're nervous on taking their first step. And I think a lot of people are just nervous about asking, you know, questions that they feel might be
2: a little too elementary. So I'm, yeah, a, I'm okay no, I'm okay asking no them. <laughs> to ask yeah. away. I mean that's what the discussion field is for. Or you know just as well if you a little bit of self-promotion. I mean, people should sign up. They'll get our weekly newsletter. We have educational tidbits in that newsletter. We also have you know, face-to-face events that people are invited to that you know, followers in, and readers of our newsletter are followed to. We also set up webcasts nearly on a weekly basis where we'll have a topic of discussion that is educational as well as introduce them to one of our you know, currently listed issuers. Um, the, they can hop in and ask questions live on those events. Uh, whether it's on, on the computer or if they're on the phone or they see us face-to-face at one of these events. So mm-hmm. it's, we, we open it to everyone and give everyone a chance to have FaceTime if they're doing $10 or if they're making $50,000 investments.
1: And Chuck, you're becoming a partner tomorrow. Congratulations. You know, where do you see this all evolving, not just Republic, but equity crowdfunding in, in the years to come?
2: I, I definitely see it growing you know, much larger than it is right now. You'll see that $1 million cap increase, uh, hopefully to $5 million. There's talk of $10 million, but I think $5 million would be the, you know, the next logical step. Uh, you're going to see the equity crowdfunding platforms that do it right, like I think we are you know, doing it at Republic. They're going to have winners coming through their portal. They're going to have household names coming through the portal. There's going to be companies that recognize this as being as powerful as we know it is right now. And that will feed back to, you know, the community at large for them to have a chance to invest in these companies as well, where previously that never happened. I really Mm -hmm. do think people are going to start to, you know, the founders of larger companies, household name companies will start to recognize that. And the ones that are not household name companies today that we're finding that are coming through our portal that are, you know, continue coming through our portal they'll be household names too.
1: So guys, there you have it. Check out Republic and all the material that we talked about. Links in the show notes. Chuck, thanks so much for coming on and, and giving us your perspective and, and background and and all the information that we can handle on uh, on Republic. It's been very educational and fun.
2: I, I loved it, Sam. Anytime you want to have me back, I'm, I'm filled with information and could talk on for hours about this or anything else you'd like me to. Good, man. We'll, we'll definitely do it again in the future. Take care, Sam. Thank you.
0: Wow. I learned a ton from that episode. I think I know more about startup investing now than I did. I mean, you know, I've been watching Silicon Valley. I should know these things, but this was the episode that really educated me on what it exactly is.
1: Yeah. I thought it was really informative. It was a good pace because this stuff is still confusing to me. So to have to wrap my head around it in mid-conversation is is still a difficult thing to do. So... I thought it was really informative. I think there's a lot of value in what they're doing. I really like Chuck's approach on the deal vetting side. I think it's very methodical. He seems to really kind of get close to the companies. And, you know, he looks through their objectives in a very thoughtful way, not through, but but to the end goal of of their objectives. Are they going to be able to onboard and and successfully fundraise? Are they going to be able to attract network and customers of their own? Are they going? Do they have goals that are achievable and um and things that make make sense to investors? So I thought I thought that was a very good deep dive into how companies actually get onto a platform like Republic and sort of the vetting that gives investors a little bit more reassurance when they're thinking about making one of these early investments.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. And you know, to be honest, when I first just checked out the website, it's republic.co. I'm sure some of you guys have logged on during the episode. And if you just kind of quickly scroll down without reading too much into it, <clears throat> like me, you might have clicked on something like the you know, the Ellison Eyewear one. And you're like, okay, this got funded. You know, this kind of looks like, you know, kind of reminds you of Kickstarter, right? As the video, it has the, the backing goals, how many investors. And you start scrolling down, you see deal terms or, you know, which I, you know, basically just skipped over because I, I didn't understand what CrowdSafe meant or discount rate meant or evaluation cap meant. So I just looked at the perks and I was like, Oh, so if I invest $65, I get a pair of their, you know, uh, first generation sunglasses, which I assume is like the prototype. So I have to pay, you know, I have to pay $275 for a pair of their, their latest ones. I was like, that doesn't seem like a good deal. This just seems like a crappy Kickstarter deal. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I listened to the episode and I understood that those parks are, you know, literally that's just what it, what it is. It's just like, it's almost like a welcome kit as a new investor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the actu- what you're actually investing in is the chance that this company will, you know, will exit for a big multiple and then you'll get, you know, whatever percent, you know, whatever money that you, uh, you invested in plus that multiple minus the, the discount rate. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, I think a lot of people might still be a little bit like, you know, curious what that means. Like how, how exactly does Republic get paid? did, Did you figure that out or do they take a percentage of it? Do they get the money from the, the startup themselves or like, how does that work?
1: I don't actually know. That's a great question. I can follow with Chuck about it. I would imagine they take some some percent of what's raised, maybe like a 1% or a couple percent of the money that is actually raised. That would be my guess. Uh, I'm not I'm not 100% sure, but we can definitely follow up and find that out.
0: So the discount rate at first it seemed like, you know, to me like I'm okay, like okay, if it's a 20% discount rate, that means, you know, if I were s- somehow to to make to turn my $1,000 investment into a let's say $10,000 investment just to make it easy you know uh it would they would take 20% or somebody would take 20% so then i would actually only make $8,000 which is still amazing if that does happen cuz that's you know still mm. like a 7x you know uh, return but at first that i assumed it was republic taking 20% but it's not it's that is basically you know the discount rate is basically saying we are paying you you know, up to eighty percent interest, uh, if you know, if if the money you invest turns into a big exit deal worth at least X amount.
1: <laughs> I don't, Johnny, I think we're over our, our over our heads in this one. I don't really, well, I, yeah. I don't actually know it. So
0: I think that's that's what's so cool about this kind of exploratory podcast and having places like the Boss Lounge where other members who. Have been doing this for longer, uh, or maybe even Chuck or you know team, someone from Republic themselves can uh, jump in and answer these questions because you know I think as novice you know investors like me and you, uh, there's all these little little tiny technical questions that we're gonna we're gonna come up with. And what better place than the Boss Lounge to ask these questions get them answered? So if you guys mm-hmm. know the answer to that, you know, please write in our group.
1: I think traditionally, like a convertible note, which is essentially the structure of this, it was sort of a way to raise money with the anticipation of raising more money in the re- relatively near future. So let's say you invest uh, $100,000 with a discount rate of 20% with the anticipation that in 12 months, they're going to raise a Series A. And whatever that Series A was raised at, your money would then convert to equity. Your note would convert to equity at a 20% discount. So if that round became... Uh, an equity around, uh, around of at 4 million dollars you would get a 20% discount on that so you would you would uh, your equity would convert at 3.2 million valuation instead of 400,000 but with this with this format I'm not exactly sure I feel like it's more the value uh, the valuation cap is actually what your your uh, note would convert at in terms of equity. So if it's got a four million dollars valuation cap, your equity would convert at four million dollars. I think the discount rate is actually for if something falls short of that and there's a liquidity preference, your uh, a liquidity event, your money, your note converts to equity at twenty percent discount of par value of those of those uh, assets or that that liquidation event. So that you would actually get more than just your money back. You would essentially get like 1.2 times your money back. Uh, But still, again, still questions to be answered.
0: Okay. Well, uh, this is what's great about having these tools, having these guests on and and having kind of future episodes, you know, from either different companies or even having follow up episodes because, you know, I think this is, I mean, this in itself is pretty new as in prior to 2016, which is less than a year ago before the jobs act was implemented these things were not possible they were not it wasn't legal for you know companies to take on you know non-incredited investors and the reason for that was because this stuff is complicated and you know the government wanted to regulate it knowing that most people like do not have the financial literacy to be able to take uh on investments like this especially because just in general these uh these types of investments are definitely gonna be higher risk, higher return because the only way you get paid back is if that company, that startup is a success, and second, they either get acquired by another company or they have an IPO. So Mm -hmm. the chances of you know you getting paid in the next year are very, very low unless they just happen to sell. But the chances of you you know having a potential big return versus like a small steady growth that you would like index fund or, you know, or, um, you know, collecting interest on a peer to peer loan. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very different thing. And I would say to anyone, explore this more, sign up for the email list at republic.co, read through their FAQs, um, you know, just play around with it. If this is something that you're fascinated about, you're very interested in. You know, I, I, I honestly think that for a lot of people investing 250 bucks into something like this, just to get the updates from a company that they believe in, you know, just to get that education and just to be able to talk about it at the water cooler at, you know, at their normal yeah. job or at the dinner table, I think that itself is worth it with the potential upside of that becoming a big number You know, if they are successful.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I guess the way I kind of look at it is just like you mentioned it being sort of a learning experience. So you could take, let's just say you could take $400 and you could go to an investment conference. You could go to a seminar on startups and that's a sunk cost. You're going to learn something but it's a sunk cost. It's almost like listening to this podcast and not doing anything or reading the books we recommend and not doing anything. You know, If if you go to these seminars, you spend the money, you might have knowledge, but you lose it. If you put it in an investment like this, you're going a to learn a ton and you have the potential to make your money back and or make a huge return or some type of return, right? So I think it's, in, in me personally, the reason why I've always done a lot of investing, even if I didn't think it was going to make a return necessarily. I mean, one of the first uh, investments I made was buying a condo in in Thailand and and a lot of other like little things that I never thought were ever going to make any money, but I did it because I just wanted to learn the experience. And so I think if you can take 250 bucks, you can invest it in a startup and you can learn from that experience, potentially make a return. I think it's a smart thing for a lot of people. Now, $250 is a lot of money to certain people and it's fine to not put that at risk. So, you know, don't do not do that if it's an uncomfortable amount of money, but if it, if you're flexible with it it's insignificant to you, I think it's a great way to learn. And that kind of takes us into your recent investment, Johnny. You invested $500 in, what was it, the Beats company, right? Yeah, it was like, uh, I don't even remember the name now, like Beatbox or something where it, <laughs> it, it, was,
0: it was basically um, a marketplace where users can upload their their Beats and mm-hmm. producers, or I, guess, or I guess, I don't know, singers, I guess, can download them and say, okay, I want to sing over the song. Here's a, you know, here's a flat fee
1: or royalty or whatever it is. So what's that experience been like? Have you learned anything from it? It's been a couple of months. Have you gotten any communication on it? You
0: know what? To be honest, I'm really bad at even looking at these things. Okay. It's called, it's called BeatStars. And you know what? I actually haven't gotten any, uh, any info on it. I think I got like one email from them, which is kind of weird to be honest. Um, Yeah, and so you know, but that was on the Indiegogo platform. Uh, these guys are different, these guys seem more like we probably just, I mean, they definitely are more in the startup space because they are part of you know, uh, um, Angel List. Yeah. Angel, angel List, I would mm-hmm. say, you know, you can look at both because the deals are going to be proprietary on you know, one or the other. So for me. You know who knows? I I haven't yet um, invested in public. Uh, I haven't even taken you know logged back into my IndieGoGo uh, equity crowdfunding account, uh, account. And I know for me personally, I'm not that interested in startups. I I, I mm-hmm. know you know there's a lot of listeners that are that it's you know it's fun it's, it's exciting to be part of the kind of you know the game. I'm more of the set it and you know forget it type of person. So if I was to invest in something like this, it would literally be. I see a lot of potential uh, in this company. Let me buy some shares. Forget about it. And Mm -hmm. if they have a big exit, you know, three years from now, then I'll get a big check.
1: Yeah, I think for most listeners, that should be kind of the, you know, (laughs) the ethos and and the way to go. There's other people out there. They're the big swingers, they're the moonshotters. And we talk about, you know, how to make a 300 times return on your investment. That's always going to be done either by investing in yourself and starting a business or investing at a very low level, you know, at a basically a seed round, a very early stage in a startup. So classic example, Tim Ferriss, he always says, all the money that he's made, all the significant money has been through startup investing. Now, he's also like totally overwhelmed by it. So he's not even doing any more startup investing. But he's always said, like it cr- totally destroys his publishing, his content, all the other t- revenue sources he's ever made. He's been through his angel investing. And, you know, you got to always have an eye out for those deals. It's, it's much more risk than most people want to participate in. But every now and then you get those those once in a lifetime opportunities. You should have your eyes open for them. You know that's actually a really great point. So
0: you know, big warning to everyone out there: definitely do not put all your all your eggs into this basket or any other basket. Especially mm-hmm. because startup investing in general is just going to be longer term and more risk than you know something that has like a fixed return or you know even an index fund or something but this is great as an alternative and i'm sure a lot of people listening are excited about this so if you are please let us know i mean please let us know if you want more episodes like this or less episodes i know sam sends out a survey you know um every few months to our email list if, if you want to sign up for that it's at investlikeaboss.com you can sign up for the email list or you can just join our private members group The Boss Lounge on Facebook which is still open to all listeners right now uh, we may have to be more selective in the future if it gets too busy so make sure you sign up for that either look for Boss Lounge on Facebook or sign up for the emails list and you'll get an invite there.
1: So kudos to Chuck and Republic for what they're doing and simplifying this stuff. I think CrowdSafe is a, a really smart way to go about this stuff because even like you and I, Johnny, we talk about investing every single, you know every week, almost every single day. And this stuff is still complicated. So if you're out there and you're confused by some of this stuff, you know, you're, it's, it's okay. If you have questions specific about this stuff as a follow-up to this episode, let us know. We'll reach out to Chuck. He's already offered his his help and support in answering any type of, of questions uh, from the audience and listeners. So send it our way. We'll get it answered. I know I have a few to, to follow up with. Um, but I'm really interested to see where this goes because I think for, for mass user adoption to come into this, especially from non-accredited investors, someone's going to have to really nail simplifying this for the everyday investor. and I think it's it's easy to get people to jump on and invest three hundred, five hundred dollars in the same manner that you did a couple months ago. but to get everyone really comfortable with it, everyone's got to be comfortable with the structure of the deal and how this stuff works uh, without having to hire an attorney to look it over for a you know, $1,000 investment, which no one would really do. So I think they're going a long way in the right direction. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what more they have to do on the educational front and the growth of their platform. So we'll leave uh, links in the show notes for their, their calculator, which is a really fun tool to play with. And I know they have some other good material that we're looking forward to sharing.
0: Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. And if you guys want to leave a comment on this episode, you can just go to investlikeaboss.com and click on episode 40 and you can leave a comment there. Big shout out to everyone who's been leaving these great five-star reviews on the iTunes store. You guys are the reason why we were able to get these big bosses like Chuck on this podcast. They see that people love it. They see that people are telling their friends, that they're writing reviews, and that they want to come on and, and share this knowledge. So we are actually currently at 96 reviews, and we're so close to 100. So if you want to make our day, uh, we would love, 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 love by by the next episode to be at 100 reviews. We will celebrate. Me, me and Sam will pop some some champagne. Uh, maybe we'd have to do it virtually because where are you right
1: now? Uh, I'm in San Diego still. Okay, nice. And I'm back in Chiang Mai. Uh just got and, and, yeah. And if and if if you guys can hear the birds chirping, that's behind Johnny in beautiful Chiang Mai where every morning you get to hear the birds out before the motorbikes be, come out. So it's it's a really nice time of the day. I I would actually say mornings my favorite time of the day in Chiang Mai. How about you, Johnny? Yeah,
0: definitely, especially during what they call the winter season here, which is still <laughs> like 80 degrees, Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm sitting in the garden in front of uh, the co-working space called Pun Space. Oh, you know, that's actually something else I wanted to mention is, how cool is it that Republic is being built out of a co-working space?
1: Yeah, WeWork. I I talked to Chuck like two months ago and he was mentioning that he was in WeWork, and dude, everyone's talking about WeWork. It's sick. Um, I guess they need more space now, but... It's a. We don't have a WeWork in Thailand yet. Uh, pun Space is what we have in Chiang Mai. There, it's like seventeen hundred square feet, but WeWorks are like thirty thousand square feet. I mean, these are mega complexes, right?
0: Yeah, I've actually worked out of them in both San Francisco and LA. Uh, and you know what? I like them because you know they are very cool. Uh, what I don't like about it, to be honest, is it. Their business model ha- is less about coworking now and more about off- renting office spaces. Yeah, uh, and. You know, even having things like you know you know companies just just ran out for with what like six month or one year terms mm-hmm. so there is definitely a, you know room in a, every single city for more co-working space type yeah um this you know spots popping up and you guys can check out Sam's site it's co-worker.com which is his company it's like the TripAdvisor co-working spaces to see a co-working mm-hmm. space in your town if you guys wanted to you know either co-work out of there or Potentially start up your own company and then get investment. You know, crowd some investments on something like Republic.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, like what you said about WeWork, uh, there's this kind of new trend coming up. It's called pro working. That's more oriented to, you know, uh, professionals like lawyers and salespeople and accountants and stuff. So it's it's more like the office setting. But like I said, every a place like Bangkok has like 60 co-working spaces now. So there's one for every single flavor. And I had a chance to catch up with Chuck after the episode. I forgot to mention, you know, he said he's seen 400 deals coming in for Republic already. Like that's like that's like Shark Tank on steroids, right? I mean, how cool that would be to sit and, and actually vet 400 different deals. Like imagine how many ideas you would have for Anything in life, right? Like your own new businesses, improving businesses, it would just be a really inspiring experience. Maybe, maybe sometime if we end up going through New York, we can we can sit down with them and um and listen to some deals come through as well. That would be really cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely
0: want to grab a slice while we're out there. All right. <laughs> so, uh, what new reviews do we have for this week?
1: Okay, I got one from Dan of Michigan, the United States, five star. Red- view called Great Learning Tool. This is one of those podcasts where I've replayed episodes and done additional education based on these topics and these podcasts. First, thank you for sharing your experiences and your mistakes. This helps tremendously, both technically, psychologically, and second, your guests are top-notch and come from many different sectors. I love diversity of investment options you bring to the table from REITs peer-to-peer to to traditional investments and your support and knowledge of index investing. Again, thank you. Bam, love it! Thank you so much.
0: And to be honest, I've actually listened to this episode twice now because there's so, so much information that I had to replay it, and I probably enjoyed it even more that second time. I think the first time, not only did it kind of fly over my head a bit, but secondly, you know, I it, I I wasn't as a, you know just because I'm not that interested in startups, I wasn't like super invested in it. But once I looked, you know, took a look at their site, looked at some of the deals, and I understood it more, and listened to it again. That's when I really start getting the value. So I definitely highly encourage people to to listen to the podcast twice if they want to get the most out of it.
1: Okay, I was just gonna just gonna underscore that. And I think when when we say startup investing, it immediately triggers this really high risk profile in people's minds. But really, when you think about startup investing, it's in a lot of ways the same as private investing. So if you were going to go invest in your buddies. Pizza store or deli shop or whatever print store you know a lot of the deal structuring is the same so getting the understanding of these fundamental fundamentals of how deal structuring um, and different different types of notes and equity investing work is really important for any type of investing not just startup investing
0: yeah and and definitely and you know because the dollar amounts uh, can be so low, what you can do is instead of investing let's say a, even a thousand dollars into one business, you can just invest a hundred dollars into ten businesses, knowing right. that if one of them does sell or IPO, you know, or get acquired, it's it's most likely going to um, give you at least a ten x return. So even at, at that point, you break even. Uh, and if none of the ten, you know, ever get acquired or never IPO, you've had some bad luck. You lost your thousand dollars, but. If two or more uh, startup, you know, uh, actually get bought out or or, or converted to cash, then you've had a big return. So that's also another way to kind of, um, you know, diversify a mm-hmm. little bit and, and almost like almost
1: dollar cost average, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So you have a we have a winner gift card, right? Yes,
0: yeah. So big thank you to everyone who's been leaving you know these great reviews. If you guys want to enter the contest to win a $25 gift card, which we give away each and every month. Just take a screenshot of your review and send it over to info at investlikeaboss.com and you will be entered to win. So uh, this month we have Lloyd Capistrano. Big congratulations. Thank you so much for your review. And to everyone else, we appreciate you guys listening and we'll see all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive
1: access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.